Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. My father-in-law, a gentleman by the name of Les, I suppose you could sort of describe him as a countryman. He grew up on a farm. Uh, His father was a shepherd of many generations. So the way to connect with him was through nature. He got taken ill. He uh, collapsed in his home, taken to hospital, and was looking likely he was going to be uh, discharged very very soon. And on the Friday night, he had a heart attack and died, which uh, was obviously very much of a shock to us all. Uh, We had a call about 11 o'clock on the Friday night, and it was absolutely throwing it down outside. It was really poor weather. And obviously with my wife, I... Initially, I told her the news, I comforted her, and then she said, go and tell the bees. There's an old tradition that when someone dies, you should go outside and tell the bees. We don't know exactly how the tradition started. For centuries, beekeepers have believed bees should be treated like a member of the family and informed of all important news. Otherwise, they might get offended and leave their hives, or stop making honey, or die. People would tell the bees about loved ones' deaths, so that the bees could mourn along with them. Simon Ems lives in the UK, in Shropshire County. When his father-in-law died, he'd been keeping bees for two and a half years. And I'd never told the bees anything before. This was, I mean, this is the first... Uh, this is the first bereavement we'd had for many, many years, and it was certainly the first one we'd had since we'd been together and since we'd had B. So I didn't know if there was a, a certain thing that one has to say. Um, so I was walking downstairs and going, what are we going to say? And it was my, my, my thought process was, well, I talk to the bees all the time anyway. Um, also go out there and I say, good morning, girls, how are we doing? Lots of lovely forage. Or if I, don't, I haven't seen them for a couple of days, if we've had pretty bad weather, I'll say, oh, come on, girls, the weather's starting to pick up now. Come on, get out, out you go, go and get some nectar and go and do your, don't, go and do your jobs. So for me, it's, you know, they're our kids. They're, you know, the bees are our children, so to speak. Uh, so therefore, my father-in-law must be their granddad. Um, 
so how would I tell my kids? Okay. So I put on some clothes, went outside in, in the rain and stood in front of the bees. And I said, girls, your granddad Les has died. Um, but I was effectively, I was talking to a wooden box, which in retrospect does seem a bit crazy, but that's what we do. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Thousands of years ago, Egyptians compared the sound of bees buzzing to the cries of spirits in the underworld. Other cultures believed that bees could travel between worlds and carry messages to the dead. And some Mayan and Celtic people believed bees embodied human souls. When a bee showed up after a person died, that meant their soul had left their body. The earliest records of people telling the bees are from several hundred years ago in Europe. One British beekeeper wrote that the bees should be told at midnight, and it was a French custom to bury a piece of clothing of the person who had died by a hive. I tell the bees myself when my friends have died or close relatives have died. Tammy Horn Potter is the state apiarist of Kentucky. She's kind of like a park ranger for the state's bees, and she spends a lot of time driving around to see how the bees are doing. I had one of my congregates at a church I attend who would tell me that when he was a young man, they would go and sing to the bees when somebody had died. But it's not just limited to funerals and sad occasions. Uh, Initially, when the practice was started, it was also a form of celebration. In other words, when someone gets married, this would also be an occasion that a family member would go and tell the bees. During weddings, people would put flowers on the hives, or save a piece of cake for the bees. German newlyweds were supposed to introduce themselves to the bees, or they would have bad luck. Telling the bees was also practical. It was a way to make sure that the bees wouldn't be forgotten about. And that does happen. Hives can be abandoned any time that there is a change in leadership. You know, a patriarch or a matriarch dies, um, and they can get set to the side. And, um, you know, through the course of time, uh, people forget. And so keeping, you know, making sure that somebody is designated as the person that goes and tells the bees is an important part of making sure that the, that the hive stays healthy, uh, that somebody will go and check on it and maintain um, those practices. So are you are you kind of reassuring the bees that someone is someone is gone but but they don't need to worry cuz they'll be cared for? True. And also too it's also the the surviving member is you're reassuring yourself that even though this person is no longer with you your world will look different without them, but that you can survive this loss, that there will be a vacuum, but 
you know, if it's a healthy community, um, that, you know, it will continue to succeed. I live in a little stone cottage in a very quiet place, but just occasionally um, a farm vehicle comes by. Well, that sounds... I wish I lived in a little stone cottage. (laughs) (laughs) This is Helen Jukes, author and beekeeper. Initially, um, beekeepers were just honey hunters and honey gatherers. Honeybees were numerous, and they would find nests in the wild and, and take honey. But beekeeping started when these honey gatherers began making small modifications to nests in the wild. So they might um, find a, a colony nesting inside an old tree trunk and make small modifications to the trunk, widening the entrance or, or kind of expanding the space inside. Um, and then slowly as tools developed, they... Um, Beekeepers began making containers of their own. And so the earliest hives were not much more than a pot, a, a skep made from coiled rope and dung and mud or a clay pot, um, nothing with a lid. So through all the Middle Ages and thousands of years of beekeeping, we had no idea really what happened inside the hive. People would try to guess. One artist in medieval Italy painted a view of a hive that looks like a building. There are five levels of honeycomb, held up like floors by what look like white marble columns. Early beekeepers would often kill their colonies so they could take their honey without being stung. Then they'd coat the inside of the empty hive with honey and bang pots and pans. They believed the sound would help attract a new swarm of wild bees. There was also a belief, really widespread belief, that bees would spring from the body of a dead ox. According to a Roman myth, bees would appear from the ox only if you followed very specific instructions. First, you needed to find a perfectly square room with one door and four windows, Next, inside the room, you had to kill a 30-month-old ox and then cover its eyes and mouth with cloth. It should be left for three weeks. Then the door and window should be opened and closed again. After 11 days, you would open the room one more time. And if you'd done everything right, the room would be full of bees buzzing over the bones of the ox. Aristotle believed that um, honey comes from heaven. Pliny the Elder believed that honey was the saliva of stars um, or maybe the perspiration of the sky. And either way, he, he thought that because it fell from the sky and it kind of ran over flowers and leaves on the way down, it picked up dirt on the way and that this accounted for the different uh, colours and consistencies of honey. You can kind of feel their imaginations at work. They're trying to join the dots um, to explain the kind of the strangeness of honeybees and the things that they don't understand. How does honey get made? Why do bees fly around with these strange little balls of what we now know as pollen? But why do they have these strange little balls on their feet? Stories say that Aristotle tried to build a window to look into a beehive, But it didn't work. The bees covered the window. 
In the 16 and 1700s, scientists tried building hives with windows again. A Swiss natural historian named Francois Hubert wrote, I might almost say that there is not a single bee with which we did not get personally acquainted. Francois Hubert built a hive that he could open like a book. It helped inspire the kinds of hives we have today, hives with lids and parts you can remove and look at. Today's modern hive, the weatherboarded structure with the little roof, is the one that we're most used to seeing. That's a hive that allows beekeepers to make changes to the functioning of the colony so we can take honey out and put it back in, um, so we can harvest honey without destroying a colony now. We can make small adjustments. Helen Jukes learned how to open a hive and what to look for inside from a beekeeper with dozens of hives around London. The first time, she met him in a garden behind a playground in the middle of the city. He told her, some people believe that bees can smell your fear. I would pull on my bee suit, I would have to wear big boots, I would put on my mask and my hat, and we would use a smoker as well. Not everyone uses a smoker, but he used a smoker, so there's a kind of ritual to it each time. I think I'd imagined it would be... I definitely hadn't imagined to be frightened. <laughs> and, I, and, I was, and I found it really, yeah, like a very strange, quite disturbing experience to lift the lid of a hive and to be surrounded by thousands of buzzing creatures um, and to have my whole, yeah, to, I guess to have my whole sensory experience changed smell, touch, sound, everything was changed. It was like stepping into a slightly different world. And then you lift the lid of a hive and these ten, sometimes tens of thousands, at the height of summer, tens of thousands of creatures lift up around you and you're kind of, you're inside another species. I mean, I didn't feel like I was looking into their world. I felt more like I was being enveloped <laughs> in their world. Um, and... Yeah, there's something very mysterious and kind of unendingly fascinating to me about the life of the colony. I, I've never, even though I've been beekeeping in different ways for years, um, I have never felt that I was even close to understanding them. We'll be right back. Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Hiring someone new can sometimes feel like finding a missing puzzle piece. The right person can complete a team, but the search can take a long time. And sometimes it feels entirely up to chance. Indeed is designed to help you find that perfect match much easier and much faster. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. That means the more you use it, the better it gets. You also need to worry about the busy work of hiring. Indeed will help you with scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. 
Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash This Is Love. Just go to Indeed.com slash This Is Love right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash This Is Love. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Tell me, what do you know about what it's like to live as a bee? So a honeybee actually spends most of her life in complete pitch dark. She doesn't leave the hive until near the end of her life, first as a guard bee and then as a forager. And it's quite noisy inside the hive, but they've developed all kinds of ways of communicating and messaging between each other. So they communicate through smell, through touch, through sound vibrations that are passed through the surface of the comb. Honeybees also communicate through dance. One of the dances the bees do is called the waggle. They crawl in a figure eight, shaking quickly back and forth each time they cross the middle of the eight. Scientists believe they waggle to communicate how far a source of nectar is, what direction it is in relation to the sun, and how good other bees should expect the nectar they find to be. Younger bees learn how to dance by following older ones around. There's this incredible order to it all, and it's not out, it's not a human order, and it doesn't follow any logics that I understand, but, but they're, they're in control. You know, if I was thinking about all of the different types of animals that I could be to have, and, and wanting to have a full, rich life, a bee seems like a pretty full, rich life to me. Yeah, I think so. I had this sense for a long time that bees are a vision of, like, amazing productivity. And then someone told me one day that actually they spend, uh, they spend about a third of their life being quite aimless. And I really like that. That even though they are so productive, they also... That, that kind of that productivity is possible because they have dream time. <laughs> I think I need dream time, too. Eventually, after helping care for hives around London, Helen Jukes got a colony of her own. I was gifted a colony of bees 
for Christmas one year, so it kind of, it almost happened to me, I think. Um, I was, I'd been thinking about it and I'd been mentioning to people that I might do it and it felt a bit like a dare to myself that I'd been, I was kind of on the, I think I was on the cusp of my 30s and I'd been living this very itinerant life through my 20s and I'd just taken a more permanent job. I'd moved to Oxford and I was living in a house with a garden for the first time and it felt like oh, I might be about to settle and it was the first and and then I realized it's the, this is the first time that I could keep a hive of my own this is the first time that I could become a keeper and it felt really I'm not sure I would have gone through with it I think before I got the hive I never imagined there was any space I imagined that the only thing that was possible was to be either stressed or exhausted and and then suddenly the hive was there and there was space and that there was kind of there, first of all there was 10 minutes in the morning and then there was 20 minutes and somehow yeah I don't know they they sort of shifted something in me and and then the whole city started looking different <laughs> yeah it's it's good I recommend it were you nervous yeah. About the responsibility of this hive, this colony. Yeah. Yeah, I really was. It's quite a high-stakes game in a way, because you have the hive, but the idea of being a beekeeper is kind of a contradiction in terms, because the hive is... you can't close it. <laughs> um, they have an open doorway and they can leave at any time, and they will leave if... Um, they feel that the conditions aren't right if the hive isn't suiting them. And I think I also felt um, I wasn't sure I would like it. I, w- I was a bit worried that they might hold me down, that they might keep me in a place. I wasn't sure that I, would want, I, that I wanted to be kept by them. I mean, if you had walked out one day and the hive was empty, you would have known that you had failed, that they were going to find somewhere better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The bees didn't leave Helen Jukes. She left them first. But she told them she was moving. A friend of hers, Jack, took care of the bees after she moved away from Oxford. They lived for one more season. After this colony died and my friend Jack cleaned out the hive and left it outside and I I remember talking to him and him saying oh, I'm just you know I'm just going to leave the hive out in the garden because you never know it might catch a passing swarm and I suppose laughing about it because this is a thing that people did in the middle ages but anyway he left the hive outside and then sure enough <laughs> that summer he had he, he sort of saw a bit of activity around the entrance and he thought oh What's going on? And a, and a swarm had settled, and and I, as far as I know, are still there. Our producer Lily Clark's father, Josh, has been keeping bees for ten years. He sometimes gets calls from people who've had wild swarms move into nooks in their houses or backyards, and he'll take his suit and gear and go and pick the bees up and take them to live somewhere else. He has two hives of his own. There we go. Smoke them a bit there. And we'll set the smoker this side of the hive. Okay, covers off. And looks like we got a healthy colony going on there. 
Do you ever just like sit and watch the bees? Oh yeah, all the time I'll sit. Usually, a lot of times I'll sit out in front of the hive and I'll just watch them come and go. Sometimes you'll see like an injured bee and then like some other bees will come in and pick it up and carry it into the hive. Um, or if there's like a dead bee, you'll see the other bees, you'll see bees like carrying it out. Like two bees will be flying together holding another bee and they'll like carry it out and take it outside the hive to, you know, keep the hive clean. This hive was actually belonged to my friend of mine, Sam, who he died um, of COVID actually. He, he's a good friend of mine. I actually knew him since we were teenagers. And um, he wanted to get into bees, and so I helped him, and he bought this hive. And so then, um, after he passed away, his wife, Sunny, said, hey, you should take this hive. And so I told her, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, keep bees in the hive for him. And so that's why I put that inscription on the front. What if I started beekeeping, Sam? So this is the Sam Memorial Hive. I feel like it makes me weirdly emotional to just like see this hive and think about it, not because I knew Sam, but because I, like you guys are the same age. And also I don't know anyone, like I don't know what it's like to have a friend die of COVID, so. I was really sad, very healthy guy. His kids are all of your guys' age. I mean, I've known their family for a long time. I asked his wife to prom when we were in high school. And she said yes, and then she said no, because Sam asked her. So I'm glad that worked out for them. <laughs> but I remember going, you know, collecting a swarm with him, and it was a huge, huge colony. I mean, it was ginormous. Sam and I were there mostly all night, like harvesting bees and collecting the comb and trying to salvage stuff. and. I mean, I have lots and lots of good memories of me and Sam keeping bees together. And so that's why I put that on the front, right? What if I started beekeeping, Sam? Because he was like that. He would just be like, well, what if we did this? What if we did this? You know, you get these harebrained ideas and then go and do it. And this was one of them. Look at this bee, she's like hauling around the edge of the hive. She's funny. She's like sick of the work today. She just wants some time to herself. Yeah, she's funny, because the rest of them are all chill and she's like, hauling. Okay, ready? Yeah. All right. You can come next time if you want. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. 
nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. There are a few right ways to tell the bees that someone has died. In New Hampshire, people believed you were supposed to sing it in a loud voice and make it rhyme. Quote, Bees, bees awake, your master is dead, and another you must take. In Kentucky, you were supposed to whisper. There is also a tradition called ricking. Tammy Horn Potter, the state apiarist, writes that after a death in the family, quote, the eldest son would move the beehive slightly to the right. This movement would signal to the bees that the universe had changed ever so slightly. Last year, the day after Queen Elizabeth died, the royal beekeeper knocked on the hives at the palace and told the bees their mistress had died. He placed wide black ribbons on each one. I hadn't seen somebody drape black ribbon around a hive until Queen Elizabeth died, but that's an ancient tradition, um, and that's just simply the family's way of sending a message in, to the rest of the world that you know a loved one had died, because not all people had access to newspapers, not all people are literate when that tradition was established. And so that was the way that a family would inform uh, passersby. Bees could also be invited to funerals, and sometimes they came. At one point in our country's history, you couldn't have funerals in January. The roads were too bad, you know, the ground was frozen, maybe the, the rivers were, were swollen, and it was flooding, um, but once... You know, it was June, and weather was a little bit more predictable. You know, you would have all of your funerals at the same time, and that perfectly coincides with the, with the biology of the hives, which is when they want to swarm. In 1959, a beekeeper and watermelon farmer in Missouri died of a heart attack. His funeral was in the middle of the winter, but his friends and family said they still saw bees, quote, flying around in the strangest manner. According to the story, when the mourners left the funeral home and arrived at the beekeeper's grave, they were swarmed by bees. An article in a magazine described the scene. A great black cloud of them flew from the farm across the valley, 
covering every blossom on the flower-bedecked grave. They settled harmlessly on the faces, arms, and hands of those around. At home, the beekeeper's son said, Dad's bees are leaving the hives by their hundreds. I don't think they will come back. And they never did. One researcher at University College Dublin wrote that in folklore tradition, bees are seen to have a sense and understanding of death. They appear to realize the connotations of death and its absolute nature. They react accordingly by giving respect by what means they can. Funerals are so expensive, and inevitably there's that, that moment when you're at, you're having to choose a coffin, you know, and do you want the most expensive coffin? Do you want the least expensive coffin? Well, what does that make you look like to the people who are going to attend, right? And and I think when we tell the bees we're going back to really what's what's very important, um, it's it's putting words to a relationship which has fundamentally changed. Tammy Horn Potter started learning to keep bees from her grandfather in her late 20s. I had one perception of my grandfather prior to helping him with his beekeeping. And that perception was, you know, very business-like. He was very efficient. Um, You know, time was money. Um, You know, it was very methodical. However, that uh, that side of him subsided when he was working his beehives. And it could have been, too, because I was with him. Most of the time he worked by himself. Would he talk to the bees? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And it would be this uh, a very gentle and tender voice uh, that was not something I had heard uh, from him uh, a lot. Uh, it was it was a definitely a softer tone. Tammy Horn Potter's grandfather died when she was thirty two. Tell me a little bit about um, what happened after your grandfather died. Um, the bees did end up being neglected uh, at that stage in my life. I was an English professor, and I wasn't in a position where I could step in and be a beekeeper. Um, I didn't have the skills uh, that I needed. I didn't have the time. Her grandfather had 60 hives when he died. And when Tammy was ready to try taking care of them, there were four left. Did you tell the bees that your grandfather had died? Yes. You know, when my grandfather died... Um, you know, telling the bees was asking for help because at that stage of my life, um, I was alone and just trying to negotiate a career uh, and looking at his farm, which was 100 acres, and feeling pretty overwhelmed by the enormity of it. Um, I certainly didn't want to be the generation that lost his farm and I had no I at that point I just remember thinking how am I going to do this and so it's having that conversation with the bees right you know because they're so little and and I felt 
pretty little at the time. Um, I wouldn't say that I have a script every time I go out to the bees, um, but I have not felt alone. Tammy Horn Potter takes care of more than 150 hives now on her grandfather's old farm. This is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, Sam Kim, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Special thanks to Becca Briars. You can learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. Tammy Horn Potter is the author of Bees in America, How the Honeybee Shaped a Nation. And Helen Juke's book is A Honeybee Heart Has Five Openings, A Year of Keeping Bees. You can find links to both in our show notes. If you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.